Before we get started, we just wanted to let you know about an excellent new addition to the Osiris Network that we are very excited about. The new podcast, 36 from the Vault, hosted by Stephen Hyden and Rob Mitchum. Absolutely. 36 from the Vault tracks through all 36 volumes of the Grateful Dead's Dick's Pick series, released between 1993 and 2005 all put together by the Grateful Dead's archivist, Dick Latvala. This is a fantastic series. Stephen Hyden, Rob Mitchum, two fantastic music writers and podcasters, dive deep into the world of the Grateful Dead, various eras of the Grateful Dead, talk a bunch about music that was happening during the era, during the time period when each... uh, uh, volume was released as well as local news local sports history politics everything full overview that you could get it's a really immersive uh, series i personally cannot wait until they get to dick's picks number 12 which is probably my favorite dick's picks of them all i would say dick's picks four is probably my favorite of them all of course being uh the valentine's day weekend mm. run at the Fillmore East, February 13, 1970. Both uh, Stephen and Rob have been on Beyond the Pond before. They're extremely nice guys, extremely knowledgeable guys. I am very much looking forward to this podcast. Absolutely. So please subscribe to 36 from the Vault wherever you find, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Osiris podcasts are going crazy here in 2020. Cannot wait for you guys to dig into this. And with that, let's hop into the show. Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 87 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are serious Fish fans. Sometimes fish fans can get a bit myopic. They only focus on their favorite act, can recall set lists, dates and times, everything under the sun. So while we're looking to help those people out, but really, the pond is wide. Anybody who wants to be turned on this new music, you are welcome here. Absolutely. We are here in our first episode of the new decade. We've made it into the 2020s, Dave. 2020. Very futuristic sounding quite quite but the future is dark and bleak except Mm. for music music is a good thing and we are here taking a look back at fish's 2019 new year's eve run from madison square garden in midtown manhattan new york ah just so great to say fish madison square garden isn't it it does feel good. That's the only redeeming quality of the West 30s is fish at Madison Square Garden. 
every year I go and every year I say, God, I'm glad I don't live in this neighborhood. Yeah, it's not a very appealing place to live, but it's a great place to see a show. It feels like the center of the universe. And we're going to dive deep into the MSG 2019 run. We're going to play a segment of a very phenomenal jam that was played at that during that run. Very stoked to jump into this. It was a great four-show run to kick, to close off the year, to close off the only other complete decade that Fish has played aside from the 1990s. I'm stoked about this. Extremely stoked. It was a very good four nights. Some of the themes that you can expect to hear in this episode include the triumphant return to MSG, Trey's best playing since summer of 2015, and seriously... Is that the best tweezer ever? On that note, let's get to the fish. So as we've done for each of the weeks of tour throughout 2019, and as I think we'll probably do in some fashion here going forward because we like this, we are going to recapable the last week of tour. We've broken down the four shows at MSG into uh, various segments to represent what we thought were the best and uh, not so best parts of the overall run to give you an even take on what happened. Yeah. Before we get started, I will just note, we both loved MSG. This was a great run of music. I think that we're going to have a lot of high praise for it. Um, but there were a lot of interesting parts in it as well that we want to dive into. Um, so we're going to kick things off here with segment one, the best opening quarter. What was the best opening quarter of a show at MSG this last run here, Dave? So, and I was there and found it to be very pleasantly surprising December 28th, opening night, went with uh, the brand new song, Evening Song, and No Man in No Man's Land, Down With Disease, 2020 Vision, and Ghost. Yeah, it's rare for the 28th to be in this slot. I would say 2003 might be the only other year where this would have happened. But this run that opened with a 40-minute segment of music that ultimately set the entire run up for success. You've got Evening Song, which opens up the entire run. Uh, I love this song. Joins Sigma Oasis, for me, as yet another brilliant debut for Trey. And then you've got No Man in No Man's Land, Down with Disease, which musically don't stray too far from the course, but they don't really need to. In short, they all caps rock. I will take issue with your characterization of that down with disease, not string from the course. <laughs> I just say simply by virtue of it being the third song in the first set in a holiday run, unless uh, we're going to take the time machine back to 1995, the course has largely been strayed from. Plus, this version was about 13 minutes, had a really intense shoegazy style uh, kind of peak in the middle and they actually completed it which never seems to happen these days right there's a really great part near the peak where trey plays this uh really like melodic descending riff page picks up what he's putting down and he copies on his Wurlitzer, then copies on his baby grand it's awesome and trey plays like you know the ddd down with disease riff better than he has in at least five years i mean this is a really solid version of the song it's an amazing version of the song. It really reminded me of the version from uh, 9-3-2016, the second night of Dick's 2016, when they opened that show with Slave to the Traffic Light and then played, I believe they played What's the Use Next and then Down with Disease. And it was a really just bizarre opening quarter, but Disease in a very similar slot that you didn't expect it at all. Yeah. And it stays within the larger... Like, it doesn't necessarily break out into a big jam, and it doesn't really need to. It really showcases that no. you can get creative in a song like Down With Disease, and it's just as incredible as it would be from a jamming standpoint. 
also the preceding No Man in No Man's Land. I mean, for me, the quality of that song depends so much on the tempo that they choose to play it at. And this version was really peppy and really tight from the jump. They could have cut it off at some point. They gave it like an extra three to four minutes. You know, it showed that they were uh, they were going for the brass ring. It was really kind of a statement of purpose, I think, after um, coming after Charleston 3, which I don't know how the band feels about that show. I know we didn't love it, mm. but this was... Uh, definitely getting things off in the good foot yeah you could tell that they were feeling the energy and it almost felt regard i mean I, I totally hear what you're saying regardless of charleston three it almost felt like trey giving that interview on sirius talking about how that he could walk on stage at msg and have his eyes closed be blindfolded play a single note and he knows exactly where he is and that they feel more comfortable there than they felt any place since nectars it almost felt like that wow channel like them walking on stage like he almost re-remembered like oh my god we've been playing here for 20 years uh 25 years um the ghost that follows really great first hint at true improv really soaring version i absolutely loved it um and at the end of the quarter it was really hard to imagine that the run wouldn't be outstanding and if you are going to let mike gordon debut the goofy country waltz at msg Sandwiching it between down with disease and ghosts is smart. Got to do it. Got to satisfy yeah. Mike and his quirkiness, and that was a perfect place to do it. That's actually 2020 Vision was a good song. I dug it. Kind of a, yeah, I didn't know what it was at the time. I think it's a, uh, it, it, it is a cover song, but in context, it was very good. 2020 Vision, You're Walking Around Blind is the updated uh, garden party. The uh, you can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. Uh, I felt like that was a, a lovely little uh, jab from the band to the fans while also fitting the overall thematic uh, nature of it all. <laughs> so jumping into segment two here, the Kool-Aid Man Award. Dave, what is the Kool-Aid Man Award and what is our Kool-Aid Man Award? Okay. For those Beyond the Pond listeners that did not grow up in the 70s or 80s, Kool-Aid, of course, being the hyper-saturated, hyper-artificial fruit drink that uh, many parents fed their children in the 80s for some strange reason. And the Kool-Aid mascot is an anthropomorphic pitcher of sugar water. When so hyped up on sugar water, runs through walls and goes, oh yeah. (laughs) So this is the jam that makes you want to run through a wall and go, oh yeah. Like you are extremely high on liquid sugar. And the Kool-Aid Man Award for this run goes to the Piper from December 28th. Sensing a pattern here. Right? 1228 was great. And man, this Piper. Now, my preferred method of Piper is exploratory, slowed down in the jam. But I'm all in favor of being one note when it rages like this. There was a ton to indicate that the 2019 New Year's Eve run was going to be excellent through set one of 1228. It was here in the Piper that Trey's playing lifted off and his overall aggression and determination really shone through. If there's anything I got from watching 1228 via webcam was Trey was more creative, deliberate, and aggressive than he'd been throughout most of 2019. This was a relentless jam. It's probably the most comparable jam to the 812 18 version that found itself in Tweezer Reprise. It was just so, so, so relentless. Yeah, this was 10 minutes. Actually, pretty patient build. Not quite the sought after slow build Piper, but it was a little more deliberate than most. No bullshit. Rage is at the peak. Then it played drown. Boom. I mean, as it so happens, this segment of uh, Piper into Drowned into Guy Forget has been my 20-minute elliptical machine jam for a few days now. Helps work off the calories. That's a good one. And of note to what you were saying, this is important. They played Guy Forget. I don't know why people are leaving this off of setlist. Fish.net, live fish, please update your setlist tracklist to reflect reality and to be a truthful source of information within the fish community. They played Guy Forget. You saw Guy Forget, Dave. You saw the third 
Guy Forget that's ever been played. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Guy Forget, it kind of takes on the form of whatever they decide to put it. It's like Catapult. Yeah, right. That's And this was definitely a full full version of Guy Forget for whatever that's worth. That whole segment in the Guy Forget and the ass-handed ass-handed reprise with Choctaw's uh, torture reprise with ass-handed lyrics was all... It was great. It was a very, very, very fun segment of music. Yeah, it's... To me, I mean, they recorded a version of Catapult and yet will take any music behind Catapult with the Catapult lyrics on it in a song. I don't know what you could be looking for. Is there a missing bridge from Guy Forget that I'm not hearing? There's a missing tennis player... (laughs) <laughs> they played Guy Forget. Come on, guys. Yes. So segment three here seemed like a good idea at the time. Dave, what seemed like a good idea at the time that hasn't held up as well in hindsight? Um, Not so much. Just seems like they played such a good show on December 28th that it ended up the first set of December 29 need a little bit more time to get started. It seemed less of a, um, more of a set list quibble, I would say. Yeah, I, I would say we want them to come out and play a killer show to kick off a run. I think anybody does. If you go to a three show, three night run, you want night one to be excellent. That said, the track record of excellent 1228s and subsequently great 1229s and or 1230s are essentially non-existent in fish history. We're basically talking about three New Year's Eve events. 95, 98, and 2003. 2019 can now join this, but this was before playing a pretty lackluster set one from 1229, 2019. Yeah, it's a little cause for concern when you've got a segment in a 1229 show goes Yarmouth Road, The Wedge, then Beauty of a Broken Heart. It kind of doesn't do that much to get the blood pumping. And while we're on that topic, regarding Beauty of a Broken Heart, um, why? <laughs> I think they hadn't played that song in 103 shows, meaning that somehow... They managed, they didn't play it at all over Baker's Dozen or the No Repeat Fall Tour, but they held it in high enough regard to play it at MSG. <laughs> I mean, that song is basically a remix of Halfway to the Moon, and it kind of, I don't know, to me the saving grace would be if they made like a mashup of Halfway to the Moon and Beauty of a Broken Heart, it kind of be, um, I'm sure many of you have heard there's a god-awful like smooth mashup of the Frampton song Baby I, I Love Your Way with Freebird that are literally only heard at like Walgreens and CVS. So <laughs> if they did that with Beauty and Halfway, that'd be kind of cool as a novelty, but I don't ever see a need to play this song by itself ever. <laughs> I really hate that you compared the two songs because it's so true, even though I will ride and die for half, Halfway to the Moon. I love that song. Um Okay. I think that's one of Paige's best songs ever written. But uh, yeah, I don't really understand it. Beauty of the Broken Heart, I, I saw the last version. It was played three years to the day prior to this one, 1229-16. I was there too. I <laughs> totally forgot yeah. that they had played Beauty of a Broken Heart at that show until I went on Fishnet. And that, I said, oh. And that was like the first version in two or three years at that point like it's it's a very strange i don't know why they're still trying to like put it into the rotation it's it's a very boring song (laughs) brief sidebar how many of you know that Paige mcconnell actually put out a solo record in 2007 with this song i mean i co-host a fish podcast and literally had no idea that this had happened until a few years ago i mean granted I wasn't really paying attention to fishy things in 2007 because fish didn't exist. I was doing stuff like seeing government mule shows and complaining about like Wilco Sky Blue Sky. <laughs> but when I found out that there was like a, a solo page record with Beauty of a Broken Heart, the first track, I'm like, oh, okay. So the song didn't come from nowhere. The good news in all of this 
is that 1229 set two was actually quite good. Big jams in Carini. I loved the Carini jam. Jin had a fiery 515 style jam. And Harry Hood was amazing. Flirted with type two, came back, and then Trey held on to a note for like a minute and a half. That was excellent stuff. However, set one was a little bit of a dud. Set two had a radio et- had radio edit singles in uh, Sally and Chalk Dust Torture, as well as a very oddly placed segue from Carini into Back on the Train, which just slightly prevented it from being an all-timer, which was okay. We had another all-timer coming right around the corner, but uh, really good overall second set. I liked most of it. Yeah, I thought the second set was great, aside from... Um lady sitting in front of me who had a conversation with her friend unrelated to fish throughout the entire second set don't do that no. if you're gonna do it for the love of god don't do it in front of me because <laughs> i will let you know that it's not cool no not at all so but yeah after i was in much better headspace after the show went back and listened to that set really excellent set i mean our quibble with set one i mean God, I mean, they also played uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps in set one. Really excellent Fuego in set one. So our quibble is very minor. It was a very good show. Correct. And all that leads us to if this tour, or I guess at this point, if this year were a baseball season, would we be in playoff contention, Dave? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... If you take all of 2019 as a season, including with the New Year's Eve run, the late push puts them over the edge to win the division on the final day of the season. Here's how I I lay it out. Mexico was a killer run with nights one and two offering some of the best music of the year. While summer and fall failed to reach the overall heights of 2018, they were still strong in their best moments, particularly when Fish was jamming. With a killer New Year's Eve run at MSG, there's no way that this band doesn't sneak into the playoffs. No way. I mean, there's a reason that September baseball rules. So many teams in contention can get hot and get into the playoffs before running the table. (coughs) San Francisco in the early 2010s. Mm. Fish, especially Trey, sounded renewed on the final four nights of the year slash decade. And they should be rewarded as such. Yeah, I would say that MSG was probably, I'd almost say definitely the most consolid, solid consecutive four shows that they played in 2019, which portends good things for the future. Absolutely. I think um, if the band's going to keep closing out years like this, I mean, this is now... I would say our third great New Year's run in a row. We've been really lucky with them. 2017, 2018, now 2019. 2016, while it may not have been great overall, had uh, at the very least the 1230 show and the great 1228 show. Um, It's just proof that the band really is peaking here at this point of the year. They really get excited to play at MSG at the end of the year. And um, with Mexico right around the corner, you've got to hope that they're in a good position going into uh, 2020. Just want to restate, Brian, what you said about Mexico. I mean, people often kind of treat those shows as like bonus fish. Don't think of them as highly or tend to forget about them. My God, those first two Mexico shows were fantastic. Those were very, very much fall tour quality shows, especially night two. My goodness. 100%. I mean, when they finished Mexico, there had been basically a six-month run of peak fish that was playing earlier this year so hopefully hopefully we can get a start on that here with mexico 2020 now dave i have a very important question mm-hmm. and i need your honesty in this i am nothing if not honest on this podcast <laughs> how many of these shows will you actually listen to again okay december 28th and december 30th both in full no questions yes. no questions asked on New Year's Eve, December 31st, I listened to the second set in full, which I thought was very good. I'll listen to the Haley's Con from set one and really nothing else from the first set. And uh, I have a much higher tolerance for fishy backup singers than you do. And 
I thought that the third set, even um, without seeing the actual visual of the clones in your headphones, I think the third set was really charming, and I very much liked the backup singers and the choreography by the great John Rue. I thought it was very, very well done. I'll keep my rebuttal short and sweet. Fish does need backup singers. Um, Okay. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing in terms of full shows. In 3.0, we've seen four great 1228s. 2012, 2016, 2017, and now 2019. This year's is probably the best. All-around excellent show that set the table for the overall run and one that listens like a 1229 or 1230 more than a 1228. It's kind of crazy that way. Mm. 1230 continues the trend since 2016. Now, 2015 wasn't too shabby, but didn't feel like a true 1230 because it was the final. It was the first show of the run. Here in 20, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019, they totally capture the magic of the date and throw a historically great showdown. One year, they're going to have an off show like 2013 or 2011, and it is going to be the worst thing ever. Yeah, like what was going on with December 30th, 2013? I mean, that was arguably the one of, I mean, you could easily say 2013 was the best year, 3.0, completely won the band, got their mojo back. And that show has a mic screw with a devotion to a dream right in the middle of it, which is weird. <laughs> Pretty good chalk dust torch to open up that second set. Really good chalk dust. That show just did not flow from the start. It's a very strange 1230. Uh, it's the rare year where 1229 was the 1230. And that 1229 show still remains one of my favorite shows of all 3.0. Very, very good show. Super 12. That, that holiday run was when Trey was obsessed with his Echoplex. Yes. It's just <laughs> Echoplex, Creeny, all over the place. Just hit it and go. Very, very good show. Very good stuff. So this gets us to our last segment here uh, in reviewing MSG 2019. And it's a big segment. It's an important segment. This is the This is Why We Do This Award. Dave, why do you and I connect on a regular basis and text and tweet and re-listen and connect with others all about this ridiculous band from Vermont? This is going to come as a very, very, very big surprise, but we are nothing if not loaded with surprises. That's what gets the peeps to tune in. Why do we do this? Because if you're lucky, you just might see a tweezer like the band play on December 30th. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) If you're lucky, you get to just couch tour a tweezer (laughs) like this. You know what I mean? Like... Anyone who experiences, I can't imagine what this was like in the room. I've been in MSG, I think, seven or eight times, something like that. And uh, when they play a big jam, it's just like everybody is hugging each other. The way that that venue's set up, the way that the sound reverberates. To have a jam like this just had to be an absolutely incredible experience for everyone there. I'm going to try here, really try to be as non-hyperbolic as possible. However... This is the best tweezer of 3.0 and the best jam of 3.0. My opinion, I I think it's pretty damn close to fact. Um, I love the Tahoe tweezer. I think it's an incredible jam. I think that the peak segment from like 22 minutes to 29 minutes is the most important thing that happened to fish in all of 3.0 thus far. But I haven't heard a fish jam in 3.0 and I've heard them all where the band doesn't seem to be consciously pushing the jam forward segment to segment, and every single idea they tap into is stretched into a jam for eight or nine minutes. You essentially get these three suites of jams. That rock peak, where Fishman is playing like a fucking monster, to that cooldown that sounds like Brian Eno's The Big Ship, to this transition to almost like a golden age TV on the radio type of jam that leads us towards the end that just collapses in absolute hilarity. 
A friend of mine actually thought that jam might have kind of been a subconscious reference to the recent uh, Vampire Weekend song, Flower Moon. And it's mm. kind of a coincidence, but listening to Flower Moon, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that. I mean, it kind of has like the Golden Age-ish feel to it to begin with. But That is interesting. Yeah. In terms of all-timers, these are, I think, the best versions of, of Tweez that's ever been played. 5794 Bomb Factory, 112894 Bozeman, 61495 Mud Island, 62295 Finger Lakes, 12697 Palace, 8198 Alpine Valley, 22803 Nassau, 73113 Tahoe, and 123019 MSG. This might be the best version ever. Now hear me out for a second. If the goal of fish jamming is a narrative arc, you know, fish doesn't just jam just to jam. If the goal is a communication between band members, this tweezer achieves the goal with precision and repeated delivery better than any that they've ever played. It's an incredible version, all-time moment of improv for the overall band. It's kind of uncanny how little dross this tweezer has. I mean, even the ones that we hold in the Pantheon, like Finger Lakes, Mud Island, Tahoe, they all have portions I inevitably fast-forward through. This version just doesn't, and it doesn't feel like 36 minutes. I mean, it's like listening to a great album with no filler. If you really want to nitpick... Maybe the New York Rangers Let's Go team ending is a little weak, but Trey loves hockey, saw a way to have some fun at the Garden, so be it. And to their credit, many of the Rangers fans in attendance did indeed yell, Pop Vin sucks! Of course, in reference to the New York Islanders legend uh, Dennis Potvin, who was key to their four Stanley Cups <laughs> in the 1980s. The only one that comes close in terms of equally flawless and interesting from one segment to the next is uh, February 28th, 03 from Nassau Coliseum. Really, that's it. I mean, I listened, did the side-by-side comparison with Tahoe, Brian, and like you said, I mean, if we're grading on like the last like 10 minutes or so of Tahoe, I mean, that's an extremely important, joyous peak that may be the most important part of uh, like Fish 3.0. But there's definitely parts in Tahoe where it seems like the band has stopped, kind of like they're looking for a place to bail and then don't. You know, there's, it's not nearly as seamless as the 12-30-19 tweezer. I mean, really, it almost kind of reminds me a bit more of uh, the September 1st, 2012 Dick's Light than tweezer, just in terms of uh, the smoothness from section to section to the point where it practically like feels composed. And plus... I mean, none of the aforementioned tweezers sound like this one does from 19 minutes to 25 minutes, which is basically a portion I've probably listened to about three or four times a day since this thing was released. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, like, the Nassau tweezer certainly has a segment of it that probably exceeds any of the peaks of the MSG 2019 tweezer. Um parts where Trey is just playing straight shoegaze guitar and it's just unbelievable but there's also these parts of the jam where the band sounds like they're clearly fucking around and trying to push experimentations forward which look I love that that's a huge part of the reason why I listen to Fish but the MSG tweezer feels like a moment achieved it feels like a moment that they've arrived to it feels like this effortless conversation that the band is having with each other that is the product of all of these challenging jams that came before it that may not be listenable for some people, may not be, um, may not have even be listenable for the band, may have been really difficult and challenging for the band to play in. This felt like a composed uh, segment of a jam that the band was writing a new song to. And I think it's really fascinating how the segment that everybody keeps coming back to is quiet, contemplative, and patient. It doesn't peak. It's literally just the band playing a very simple melody, 
over and over and over again. And if you are jumping on Twitter around this time, literally like every third person is tweeting about 18 to 25 minutes of the MSG tweezer. That's a really cool and really rare experience to have with this large fan base. I absolutely love it. I don't know if this is the best version ever. I may be attesting all of this to recency bias at this point in time. That's totally cool. I'm okay with it. If I'm wrong in the future, I'm fine with it. But I think it has to be said that there is a consideration here that this might have been the best tweets that we've ever seen play. Just as a personal aside, I live in New York City and I did 1228 and 1229 and made the decision to skip December 30th this year because I had also just seen Yola Tango on December 27th and wanted to go to the late night Garcia Peoples, Chris Forsyth, Riley Walker show on uh, the 30th. Yeah. So kind of as an olive branch, the wife and family, I said, okay, I'll stay home from the December 30th fish show this year. That wasn't a good idea. I'm never missing December 30th ever again. Uh, the late night show at LPR was phenomenal. One of the best rock shows I've seen this year. And when I had told people that I actually hadn't been to the fish show prior, they, they were kind of gobsmacked. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why you got to do as many as you can do. But that uh, that late night set, just say, say, before we jump into the jam, just say a little bit, what was that late night set like? Oh, that was great. That was um, Garcia Peoples went on first, I think at about 1230, and I was uh, very happy with the crowd size. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of different late night shows that you could have gone to on December 30th, and LPR was pretty full. It was definitely one of the larger crowds I've seen um for those bands. His first up was Garcia Peoples. They ruled. They played a very excellent, like, 25-minute version of their song One Step Behind. That was followed up by Chris Forsyth, who was backed by Garcia Peoples. And then it was Riley Walker doing an incredibly cool electric noise jam with a uh, friend of the podcast, Ryan Jewell on drums. I guess, uh, like, Riley could be considered a friend of the podcast as well. That was neat because they had um, a pedal steel player whose name escapes wow. me, but I think he was um he's like I think he's like Cass McCombs pedal steel player, does a lot of really cool session work, and that was just some awesome like Miles Davis fusion-y sound. Unfortunately at that point it was two thirty in the morning, so I was asleep on my feet. I had to get back home. But rumor has it there was a phenomenal uh big super jam with everybody at the end of the show playing the Chris Forsythe song Techno Top. Mm-hmm. And I think there happens to be some very good YouTube footage of that jam, which you should seek out. Maybe we'll like, post a link to it at some point. We will. But yeah, it was a really, really phenomenal evening. I would highly recommend seeing any of those bands. I know they're going to be doing a lot of touring in 2020, and it just felt like a really great culmination of uh, the whole whole indie jam scene we really been, uh, have been trying to push hard here in 2019. It was really great. And on that note, let's listen to a segment of the December 30th, 2019 Tweezer. Thank you. 
All right. Bliss Jam Tweezer Man. Oof. Oh, so good. So good. So, we are here now in our early episode, our first episode of 2020, to give you some new album recommendations, as always. Now, we are not deep enough into the year to really be providing 2020 recommendations. I have yet to, as of recording, hear a record in 2020 that has blown me away. I apologize about that. If I'm missing something Someone just at me on Twitter. Please tell me. I know that you will. I'd love to know if there's anything great that's been released thus far. I'm going to talk about a late 2019 record from Ben Lamar Gay called East of the Ryan. Ben Lamar Gay is a psychedelic jazz trumpeter from the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, This record was released in late summer, fall 2019, just appearing on stream, streaming services at the end of December. And it's really fascinating, really fantastic. Uh, this was recorded over one night in 2014. It features Ben Lamar Gay trying to emulate dreams he had as a kid about a club in his neighborhood he'd always wanted to play at. He was a little kid growing up on the South Side, always wanted to play at this one club and wrote an album about what it would have been like. It's wild psychedelic jazz. If you enjoy what we are pushing in 2019, particularly think about our episode with Rob Mitchum on the storage jam. You are going to absolutely love this. Uh, It's just really in line with what I've been listening to, what I've been loving to hear of late uh, as I move. This is kind of the time of year where I play a bunch of catch up and or jump into a couple different listening projects before I start checking out what's happening on a current basis. And this has definitely been a record that's been following me around a lot of late. So we're going to listen to the song Pink, Green, and Gators off of Ben Lamar Gay's 2019 release, East of the Rock. Brian, thank you for playing Ben Lamar Gay. Absolutely going to check that out very quickly, probably once I get off the air here. So the album which I'm going to recommend, which also came out in the latter half of 2019, uh, like you, I haven't heard anything from 2020 that's excited me much yet. So I'm going to talk about a record. It is the self-titled debut from a band called Kills Birds, and the song... It's the opening track called Worthy Girl. So yeah, like I said, I think this was released in August of 2019. It's a recent discovery from the most excellent uh, Chicago-based Sound Opinions podcast, Greg Cott and Jim DeRogatis. I know we've talked about this before. You know, sometimes people ask us, where do you guys find new music? And not only are we podcast hosts, but we're avid podcast listeners Sound Opinions is definitely one that should be on your radar, especially their frequent uh, their frequent Buried Treasures episodes. So this album supplies the female-fronted rage and rock crankage that I was really kind of hoping to get from the latest Slater Kinney album in 2019, but for some reason that didn't happen. But thank you, Killsbirds, for supplying it. So they are a Los Angeles-based bass, drums, and guitar quartet fronted by... 
Nina Legetti, who I believe is from originally from Bosnia, and she immigrated to Canada as a child. And when she's not raising a holy racket with kills birds, she's a filmmaker and an actress. I think she actually may have played the young Patty Smith in 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 a movie, the name of which escapes me, which would make perfect sense. So this album has a lot of the post-punk basslines, which post-punk bass lines which I crave explosive choruses fantastic guitars that come out of nowhere it's just under a half hour and nothing is wasted if you just want a pissed off thrash around the room especially in this day and age there is a lot of good reason to be pissed off and put on loud music and just say fuck everything this is an amazing record with which to do it so let's listen to Worthy Girl by Killsbirds this flower kills birds When she dies she rots like flesh This flower kills birds When she dies she rots like flesh Here in segment two, we are going to talk about what are we listening to right now. So we're going to do something a little special here, something we never expected that we would do, but you get 87 episodes into a podcast and you start doing random kind of crazy things to keep it going. We are going to talk about an album and song. That we featured in episode one, Camden Chalk Dust. Any of you guys listen to that episode? No? Well, the knowledge, there was a lot of, we threw some good knowledge at you in that episode. But I would consider this a mulligan because our, uh, our sound quality and editing ability has improved by leaps and bounds. This is true. We know how to construct an episode. There are segments of that episode that uh, I have no idea what we've been doing. Uh, It's fun to go back and listen to it. It was almost three years ago. Uh, I'm so glad that we started the podcast. I'm so glad that we did that episode. And it's probably one of my five favorite episodes we ever did just because um, so much was riding on it. We learned a ton in it. And the music that we selected, we kind of went all in. It's like the BTP greatest hits in a lot of ways. And uh, the song in question here, the album in question here, the artist in question here is none other than Brian Eno, Another Green World song, The Big Ship. It's one of the greatest albums of all time. It's inspired so many of our favorite records. And I tweeted out the day after on on New Year's Eve, I I believe, uh, and I've seen it. confirmed or you know uh agreed upon throughout the fan base that the segment of the tweezer from 1230 that we all love so much sounds a lot like the big ship so we featured this song in episode one comparing it to the bliss section of the chalk dust torture from camden new jersey on july 10th 1999 now if most of you like i said you've probably never heard that episode and perhaps rightly so, because we had no idea what we were doing. But as a result of that, we couldn't help ourselves but revisit here, especially when Fish essentially plays the big ship during this tweezer. So Another Green World was Eno's third album. It came out in 1975, September 1975, after being recorded in July and August of that year. Robert Fripp, John Cale, and Phil Collins all guest on the record. 
within this record, Eno utilized his oblique strategies approach when planning the next moves in each of his songs. Nothing was prepared before starting recording. And after four days with no new music, he turned to the strategies, a system of cards provided guidance without context. Things like state the problem in words as clearly as possible. Only one element of each kind. What would your closest friends do? What to increase? What to reduce? Are there sections? Consider transitions. Try faking it. These prompts held, helped him as he was constructing songs, figuring out what songs needed something more, what songs needed something less, and putting this little album together that's just fantastic. Uh, Robert Fripp played lead guitar in St. Elmo's Fire. Of note, the reason why we used the big ship in uh, episode 001 was because the Camden Choctaw's Torture sees Trey playing in a very Frippian style. Eno plays every single instrument on the big ship. A song that begins in A, builds thematically, and lingers on musical ideas as you're just totally taking in this overall sense of peace and calm. Dave, you described this song in the best way possible in episode one. Do you remember what you said? Did I say it was like the sound of being born? Yes. Yes. It's so good. (laughs) So true. Just like you're coming into this world. Life is just beginning. It's absolutely incredible stuff. So let's go ahead here. Let's listen to a little bit of the big ship off of Brian Eno's Another Green World. I've been listening to lately. Let's see. In terms of uh, new stuff, something which actually just came out last week. It's a uh, first single off of an upcoming album by this band called Wax Machine. And the single is called Shade. And I think that the album is going to be called Earth Song of Silence, which doesn't actually come out to the middle of March. But the single came out last week and it is uh, fantastic. I believe it's uh, going to come out on Beyond Beyond is Beyond, obviously a label that we've um, spoken very highly of in the past. And this is um, kind of just like a four-minute psychedelic slab of a certain type of almost um, like Brazilian soul jazz that to these ears sounds a heck of a lot like it could have come off uh, the CTI label in 1972 in particular, it reminds me a bit of uh, the stuff in Dea Dada's Prelude album. Reminds me a bit of Erta Moreira's Free. And those are both soulful Brazilian guys who put out those records in 1972. 
So you can kind of see where we're coming from here. It's just uh, very good, hazy psychedelia. It's got some congas. It's got an excellent guitar riff, and it um, you know packs a lot of interesting stuff into the four-minute runtime. And I'm very much looking forward to the full album coming out because if it sounds like this, it's going to be extremely good. In terms of not so new stuff, I don't know. For some odd reason, every nine months I have a desire to listen to Queensryche, in particular stuff off of uh, their Empire album, which came out in 1990 when I was 12 years old. That album had not one, not two, but six singles on it. Sometimes I just want to listen to Jet City Woman and feel like I'm 12 years old again. And that's what I have been listening to other than new stuff. You'll note that's also the Queensryche record that has their uber cheesy Pink Floyd knockoff Silent Lucidity on it. Don't listen to that one as much, but Jet City Woman, Another Rainy Night Without You, the title track, all uh, fantastic early 90s prog cheese metal, which uh, sometimes just have a hankering for. But let us listen to a bit of uh, the Wax Machine song, Shade. Guys, thank you for hanging with us here in our first episode of 2020. Remember, when filling out formal paperwork, do not just write 11420. Mm. Good. Write 112020. You do not want this fraud. I don't want this fraud. Dave doesn't want this fraud. This is your Trey Anastasio, the right lane is for driving, the left lane is for passing. New Year's Eve, New Year's advice. Yeah, I do not want, I do not want the fraud. <laughs> no, none of that. Don't need the fraud. No, you don't need the fraud. So thank you guys all for hanging with us here in this episode. We're very excited to be back in the swing of things, and uh, we are very excited to be talking about a wonderful, phenomenal, potentially best ever version of Tweezer that was played at MSG on 12-30-2019. So, just a reminder, you can always find us on social media. We're on Twitter, at underscore beyond the pond, one word. Sometimes Brian mans that, sometimes I man it. It's usually about 60-40. We, we tend to keep you guessing. Right now, we're on Simplecast. BeyondThePond.SimpleCast.FM And you can always find us on Spotify. We have the big Beyond the Pond podcast master song playlist to the extent that songs are available on Spotify that we talk about on the podcast. We will put it into the master playlist, which is getting quite unwieldy at this point. 
can find this and many, many other fantastic podcasts for the Osiris Podcast Network at OsirisPod.com. Leave us an iTunes review because we enjoy reading them and it always increases our visibility in Apple land. Just also want to say that Beyond the Pond is a proud member of the Osiris Podcast Network. It is co-hosted by Brian Brinkman and David Goldstein, and it is produced and edited by Brian Brinkman. So as we are back here in 2020, publishing structures can be very similar to what you've seen in the past. Typically, we try to go every other Tuesday. Tuesdays have absolutely no feel. So we want to make sure that you guys are able to have something to give you a kick in your step as you're going through another week. Uh, we promise that we will not stick to just that schedule. There will be more episodes in between. We are currently in a big planning phase right now for 2020, talking to some future guests, talking about some upcoming jams. We've got some episodes that are in the works that we know that you guys are going to like very much. And uh, it's going to be a fun year. we got Mexico coming up, most likely a big fish summer tour. Um, know that we're going to have some really great albums coming along here throughout the year. So uh, everyone hang tight. We're just getting started here again in, uh, man, it'll be year four total. Uh, this is going to be our fourth complete year of Beyond the Pond. That's kind of crazy. We're going to be celebrating our three-year anniversary here quite soon, which is wild. Absolutely crazy. Also... Just a quick reminder, in this 2020, we like to say on Beyond the Pond, practice responsible Spotify usage. It's great to have on the subway. It is great to have in your car. Great mixes, but it's just not enough. If you want to support your favorite bands, you got to buy music. You have to go to concerts. You have to get merch, get finals, get CDs. Anything you can do to get cash into directly into the hands of the musicians that you love, we certainly try to and hope that you do as well. But, yes, Brian, I am very excited for 2020. I know we have uh, some fantastic podcast, fantastic episodes in the works, guests in the works, and no matter how much planning that we end up doing, there's always going to be some curveballs and there's going to be some things at the last minute thrown in and it will all be universally awesome. So come back, join us. We will hold hands. We may sing Kumbaya. We will definitely enjoy the Inuish bits of the December 30th, 2019 tweezer. And we will go beyond the pond.